Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. Uh, let me ask a quick question. How many people here have a sibling, brother, sister, couple of you? Why is your hand not raised? You have a not 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 necessarily here, but you have one, uh, a sibling, brother, or sister. Okay. Uh, the reason I ask this is because we're going to look at a uh, not brother, sister, but a brother, brother convers scripture uh, about two brothers, their division, their sibling rivalry, uh, which it happens. But in order to set the stage for that, I wanted to look at some sibling rivalry. Some you may be familiar with. Some you may not be familiar with. Uh, and um, the first one, Cain and Abel, first sibling rivalry in the Bible and in human history. Um, and, you know, Cain, who is on your left, uh, brought fruits from the field and vegetables from the field, uh, which is biblical. Abel brought the first flock of his lamb. God didn't look favorably on Cain's. Now, this, this is an artist rendering. I just found it online. So, it looks like it's true. I don't know if that's what the altar looked like, but I also don't know, I don't know if you can see it, if Cain's abs were that defined from gardening, right? Because he didn't have a Planet Fitness to go to, he didn't have an ab roller, so um, I'm guessing someone who is into farming and gardening probably made this picture. Uh, but another one, how many of you guys remember the, the Harbo, I'm probably mispronouncing it, brothers, uh, one coach is San Francisco, one coach is Baltimore, they were both in the Super Bowl against each other. And, um, of course, the, the Ravens won uh, that one. And another one, I'm not sure if you're aware of this. How many are familiar with Pumas and Adidas, the sneakers? Uh, and I'm make sure I'm getting this right. I think the company was started by a family, and two brothers were in charge. And then somewhere after World War II, because of a rivalry, they split. And one did Adidas, and one did Puma. Had no idea. Didn't even know they were related and all that kind of stuff. Um, also, one, some of you may be, and who knows who this is? Dallas. Um, some of the younger people are like, what are you talking about? But, because uh, when I was a kid, right, and I think it was like Friday night, this was Friday night for my mom, who was a working single parent, Dallas. We couldn't, we couldn't, we had to be quiet. We had to stay out of the living room, which was okay, because there was, you know, the plastic on the furniture. We couldn't sit in there anyway. But, we had to stay out of the living room so she could watch, you know, and JR, who's the guy with the hat, was a bad guy, and then uh, Bobby Ewing was a good guy, and the Ewing brothers would go at it all that time. Um, you can Google it, because I think they tried to remake it, and it didn't go over well. Uh, but then another one, my favorite, which some of you may not know, Thor, Loki. Thor got a thunder, Loki got a mischief. However, they're not actually brothers. It's more of an adopted brother. Loki is an adopted brother. And uh, if you have not seen Infinity War, um, I don't want to spoil it for you, but you should have seen it by now. But you know how they say everyone dies in the end? That kind of happens, so I just spoiled it for you. Um, and also, Loki dies in the beginning, so I really spoiled it for you. But also, uh, this is one that you guys may be a little bit more familiar with, and it depends. How many people watch anything on HGTV? Okay, yeah. Uh, how many people are familiar with brother versus brother? Okay, uh, so Andrew, <laughs> Andrew uh, and, and Jonathan 
Scott, I believe is their last name, they're brothers, and they do shows where they flip houses and all that kind of stuff. But then during the, well, I guess they do it before the summer, but what airs during the summer is this show where they each compete against one another. Instead of working together, because one's a contractor, one's a real estate agent, they work against each other. They each buy a house, they flip it, and then they sell it. And whoever gets the most profit wins, but they take all of that money and donate it to charity. So it's a great charitable, charitable event, uh, raises a lot of money, raises a lot of, you know, awareness for HGTV as well, uh, but the one that we're going to talk about this morning, not as popular, Jacob and Esau, right? Two brothers, uh, uh, children of Isaac and Rebecca, but they were divided, and here's the thing, their rivalry started literally at birth, uh, not something that was caused by God, but something that God saw and God allowed to happen. So uh, if you have a Bible, I'm going to tell you to open up to Genesis chapter 25, but while you're opening there, I'm going to put some verses from Romans up on the screen for you because we're told a little bit about this in Romans. And here's what it says. In Romans chapter 9, in Romans chapter 9, it tells us, uh, and this is Paul writing to the church in Rome. He says, however, it's not as though God's word had failed coming to nothing, for it's not everyone who is a descendant of Jacob, and that's what Israel is called, and we'll get to the verses where Jacob's name changes to Israel, who belongs to true Israel. And we've talked about this. God didn't look and say, hey, if you're a descendant of Abraham, that's who you know, is in line and in relationship with me, although that's who is maybe considered an Israelite. God looks and says, it's whoever expresses and shares the faith of Abraham and puts their faith and trust in me. That's who's in relationship with God. But then he goes on, Paul goes on, and he writes this. He says, and they are not all the children of Abraham, because there is blood descendants. No, the promise was your descendants will be called and counted through the line of Isaac. So being just a descendant of Abraham, and Abraham had, as it says, though he had an older son, Ishmael, those aren't the, what is called the children of the promise, or Israelites, although God honored and blessed them, and there were 12 tribes of Ishmael that we talked about a few weeks back. Uh, at the same time, after Sarah died, Abraham married a woman named Keturah, and they had several children of well, one of who was named Midian, who, who the tribe of Midian came through, and Moses, when he goes, gets exiled into the desert, takes a wife from the tribe of Midian. So God kind of works full circle through all people. But then he goes on and he says this, uh, that is to say, it is not the children of the body of Abraham who are made God's children, but it is the offspring to whom the promise applies that shall be counted as Abraham's descendants. And not only that, but this too, Rebekah conceived two sons under exactly the same circumstances by our forefather Isaac. So now he talked about Abraham, he talked about Jacob, but he's talking about the situation we're, talk, we're about to talk about, the birth of Jacob, the birth of Isaac. And he says, the children were yet unborn and had so far done nothing either good or evil, even so in order to further to carry out God's purpose of selection or election. Now, let me explain that. What God does is he chooses a line or a lineage, and it's not because one's better or one's worse, because they weren't even born yet. They hadn't done anything good or wrong or to where God said, oh, you're the good one, so I'm going to you know, choose you, or you're the bad one. It had nothing to do with that. And what Paul tells us elsewhere is that phrase through election, God chooses and elects. I know a lot of people don't believe this, but this is what the Bible says. He says God elects or predestines or chooses in advance because of his foreknowledge. 
In other words, he sits back, he looks at the entirety of time, he sees what's going to happen, and he says, yeah, it's like if you were able to see every Super Bowl that's ever going to take place, who would you choose as the winner? Well, you've already seen who won. Hopefully, you'd choose the winning team. And it's not because you did anything. It's because you have foreknowledge, fore meaning before, knowledge of what was going to happen. But because of that, God chose them, and here's what it says, and it was said to her, meaning Rebecca, that the elder son should serve the younger son. And as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. The whole uh, lineage from Abraham through Isaac and Jacob, who were called the forefathers of the nation of Israel, wasn't about you being specific bloodline. It was about the line that would choose to follow and do what God wanted to do. And God chose that line because he knew and saw this is the line that's going to do what I called them to do. Now, if you have a Bible, uh, really quick, and again, that was before they were born, before they were born, before either one did anything good or bad or otherwise. Uh, but if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Genesis, chapter 25. And in Genesis, chapter 25... In verse 19, many of your Bibles probably have a title that uh, says something to the effect of Jacob and Esau or the account of Jacob and Esau. But in verse 19, this is what it says. And if you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand and someone will bring one to you from under one of the chairs. Uh, this is the account of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, from Paddan Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Now, here's the thing. That word jostling, it, it has two meanings. It means, one, uh, that struggling to the point of crushing, but doing so together. But it also has the meaning of wrestling and that can be taken as not necessarily physically, but playfully together. But both of them have together. So either they were, because they were twins inside of her, struggling and already fighting from birth, or they were just playing and wrestling together, so much so that it caused her some pain, and she prayed to God, and I leaned towards the wrestling and fighting because God's response to her in verse 23, the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within, from within you, will be separated. That word separated doesn't just mean one put over here and one put over here. It means divided, like they're not going to be together. And one people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve, will serve the younger. Verse 24, when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and that word red, uh, it's the word Edom, which is why they're called the Edomites. And... Uh, his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau, which means hairy. And after this, his brother came out with his heel, or his hand, grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob, which means heel grasper. It also means, it has the intent of meaning to like trip someone up or to deceive. And I, I was going to make a comment about the way they name people, how weird they are, but then I look around today and I'm like, we, 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 we really can't say anything about the way they named their children. But 
Uh, Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. Now, again, let me step back just to give you some insight into our timeline that we've been tracking throughout the book of Genesis. Uh, from year one, creation of Adam, to the time that God called Abraham, 2,024 years passed. At that time, Abraham, 75, Sarah, 65, 10 years between them. And then when Sarah died at the age of 127, that's what the Bible tells us, Sarah was 127 years old when she died, uh, which would put it at the year, the 2,086th year after creation. Abraham is 137, Isaac is 37 years old, uh, and then we're told Isaac at the age of 60 has birth, gives birth, well, actually Rebecca, but fathers Jacob and Esau. So we know this is the 2,109th year after creation. And again, this is not talking about the age of the earth. It's specifically outlining how long humanity has been on the earth. All right, so uh, verse 27, the boys grew up. And Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents. And Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. But Rebekah loved Jacob. And this doesn't necessarily mean that they didn't love the other. It's just they had a favorite child. And his parents were not supposed to have a favorite child, but some of you probably had a child who did things. You're like, oh, that's fun. And the other child did things. You're like, good job. And it, again, it's, 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 it's not a bad thing, uh, but probably not a good thing to post online about, hey, I love this child and what he's done, and not post anything about the other child and what they've done. Because that's the kind of thing that scars children for life. Uh, of course, you could do it if you want to and if you can afford therapy. But jump over to chapter 27. Chapter 27, uh, when Isaac was old, and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see. This is chapter 27, verse 1. He called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I'm now, old, I'm now an old man, and I don't know the day of my death. Now then get your weapons, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now, uh, here's what happened. Basically, um, he, he's about to die, and there was a custom that you would bless the older child, and everything would pass to the older child. But here, God had already revealed to Rebecca that it wasn't the older child that he was going to use. It was the younger child. So either Rebecca didn't clearly communicate that to Isaac, or Isaac took it upon himself to say, I don't care about what God wants. Here's what I'm going to do. And he calls in the older son, Esau, and he says, I want to pour my blessing out, which is basically saying I'm passing, passing the head of the household, my inheritance, and the blessings of God on to you. But Rebecca hears this, basically tells Jacob, hey, Isaac is about to bless Esau. So why don't you go put on a big gorilla costume so you're as hairy as he is, because he can't see. And then I'll make the stew. I'll give the stew and the soup or whatever it was to you. You take it into him, and you will get the blessing of your brother. Now, technically, that's a little shady, but he had a right to it because years prior, when his brother Esau was out hunting, he came back in, and he's like, I'm so thirsty. I'm starving. I need some food. I need something to eat. And Jacob said, I'll give it to you if you give me your birthright. 
which some of us would probably say in jest, because how many people have said to your brother, you know what, I'll give you $100 when you were 12, probably didn't have $2, for whatever. And they were like, great, I'll take it, and, and you make that transaction, and I doubt they're like still expecting that money from you or holding it with interest. It's just one of those things you say. But Jacob's intent was, hey, I want the birthright. And they did the transaction. And he gave, he's like, hey, you're hungry, here's the food, I'm now your birthright. And what ends up happening, uh, turn to verse 27. So he, meaning Jacob, went in and kissed him, his father, Isaac. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he, he thinks it's Esau. He blessed him and said, ah, the smell of my son is like a smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of heaven's dew, which means everything that heaven has to pour out on you, the window of heaven opening and pouring out a blessing, may God give that to you, and of earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine, and may God bless you and provide for you. And verse 29, may nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. And may those who curse you be cursed and those who blessed you be blessed. And jump over to verse 38. Esau comes in. He finds that Jacob has stolen his blessing, and he says, Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me to my father. And Esau wept aloud, and his father Isaac answered him, your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness. You're going to have to work for everything you have. It's not going to just come to you freely. And from the dew of heaven above, You'll be separated from a relationship with God. You will live by the sword, and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. Verse 41, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And he said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. Rebecca hears about this, and she sends Jacob away to go live with her brother Laban. And we kind of read this and we're like, oh, well, that's what happened. This is how the nation of Israel came. But now put yourself in a parental perspective to where one of your children says, what do you mean mom and dad left you the car? I can't wait until they pass because then I am going to take your life. Or what do you mean mom and dad left you the house or mom and dad left you the business? And it's not just a grudging, like, you know, hey, I can do better than you thing. It is a I want to take your life thing. And for the rest of their lives, they had this rivalry to the point where, and, and, and it's hard to say that Esau was at fault because I could see his perspective. It feels like he's been robbed. But when they're older, after Jacob is married, Esau comes with him and he's a wealthy man and he's coming to him and he says, hey, why don't you come hang out at my house? There's no need for us to have this rivalry. And Jacob says, sure, that's a good idea. I've got all these large people. I've got family and wives and wild stock that I've got to move that way. You go ahead. I'll be there in a couple of days. And Esau goes ahead. And Jacob goes the other way. And they never see each other again until it's time to bury their father. And even after they bury their father, the Bible doesn't say that they, they come back together, that after the funeral that they ate lunch and broke bread and weep together. 
In fact, what it tells us is they continued this rivalry that their descendants continued for hundreds of years. Um, in the book of Numbers, and this is when Moses is wandering in the desert uh, with the Israelites, this is what happens is Moses says, please let us pass through. He's talking to the Edomites. He's with all the Israelites. They've broken out of bondage in Egypt. They're wandering in the desert. And he tells, he sends a letter, for lack of a better term, a letter, to the Edomites. And he says, please let us pass through your land. We will not pass through field or vineyard or drink water from a well. We'll go along the king's highway. We won't turn aside to the right hand and to the left until we have passed through your territory. We're on this long journey. We don't have a land. We don't have a home. We just want to let us take the highway through your country. And they respond. But Edom said to him, you shall not pass through lest I come out with the sword against you. And this is hundreds of years later. So granted, this is no longer Jacob and Esau. This is the Israelites and the Edomites, their children, their descendants. And again, put yourself in a parental perspective. And granted, we're not going to see hundreds of years later. But imagine you live to see your great-great-grandchildren. And one of them sends a letter saying, hey, I'm coming by. I want to swing by your house. And the other one says, no, you're not coming here. Because if you do, there's going to be a fight. And they respond again. They say, hey, look, the people of Israel said, we'll go up by the highway. If we drink your water, uh, I am my livestock, then I'll pay for it. Let me just pass through on foot. And again, picture your, your descendants. One saying, hey, look, I'm coming from a long road trip. I have a 22-hour drive. Can I just stop and spend the night? I won't even spend the night. I'll park the car in your driveway. I won't touch your food. I won't touch your water. I just need a safe place where I can get some rest. And the response is this. He said, you shall not pass through. And Edom came out against them with a large army and with a strong force. Thus, Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory. So Israel turned away. And then we read this in the book of Deuteronomy. Despite their rivalry, God's perspective, when he's talking to Israel, he tells Moses, command the people, you are about to pass through the territory of your brothers, the people of Esau, this is the Edomites, who live in Seir, and they will be afraid of you, so be very careful. But then he says this, do not contend with them, for I will not give you any of their land, no, not so much as for the sole of the foot to tread on, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. So God says, hey, they're going to be afraid of you, but know this, just like I'm going to provide for you, I have already provided for them. I've given them land. I've given them a place to call home, just as he was leading Israel to a place to call home. And then hundreds of years later, in 1 Samuel, as their rivalry continues, we read this, when Saul had taken the kingship over Israel, he fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, the Ammonites, and Edom. So it went from a rivalry, rivalry, I sound like Elmer Fudd, rivalry, sorry, to all-out war. It went from, hey, don't come to my house or I'm going to kill you, to, hey, we're at war killing one another. And God is sitting back and looking at literally brother versus brother killing each other. To the point where, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, to the point where the prophet Obadiah says this, specifically written to the Edomites. 
And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Teman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter because of the violence done to your brother Jacob. Shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. And we talked about how the fact that when uh, Nebuchadnezzar came in and conquered you know, all of Israel, that the Edomites were standing by clapping, yang, get him, Nebuchadnezzar, get him. And it even says even further down that they weren't just saying get him. They were saying, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, there's a few running off to the mountains. Get them too. And then after they had done, they went in and they just took what they could get. They were yelling, they were like yelling, hey, don't forget about this and don't forget about that. Make sure you wipe them out. And how would you feel as a parent watching one of your children sit on their front porch while your other child's house is being robbed and they're yelling, hey, don't forget the TV in the basement. And don't forget the jewelry in her underwear. I don't know how they know that, but don't, don't forget all this other stuff. Make sure you clean them out. That's what it looks like to God when we fight, when we argue with one another, when we're talking bad about one another. Because for us, it's like this is some guy I don't know or some person who posted something, you know, and I don't know who they are, or some person of another race or another culture or another political party. To God, it's my child, my child, my child, my child, my child. And that's what he sees. And this is what the Apostle John tells us. The first John. And this is in the message version, just because it's really crystal clear. If anyone boasts, I love God, and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he is a liar. If he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God he can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. He's saying you can't claim I love God and go to church and lift your hands and say amen, 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 and then go out and talk bad about your brother or sister. You can't go to church and say, hey, God, let's lift up and pray for Larry. Let's lift up and pray for Patty. And then go out and say, I don't know who that person is, God, but kill them. They don't deserve to live because of their race or because of their color or because of their culture. And this is the, this is the commands that keep coming up. We've been in Genesis like all this year. And over and over again, we keep coming back to these simple commands that God keeps reiterating. Love the Lord your God, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus went through a great deal of trouble to make sure that he left no room for anyone to misunderstand what he says when he says, love your neighbor. Because he tells the Torah, you guys remember the story of the Good Samaritan? And he talks about him going down, and then he's robbed. And the Samaritans were a group of people that were hated by the Israel people, even though they were technically related. And he said a priest walked by, and a religious person walked by, and all these people walked by. But then one of the Jewish people, who's supposed to hate them, walks by. And not only does he help them, he spends his time, his money, and his resources to make sure that he's okay. And then he asks a simple question. He says, now, out of all of these people, which one 
acted like a neighbor. They said, the guy who helped them. And he says, go do likewise. Even if they look differently than you, even if they believe differently than you, even if they don't worship the same God as you, even if they don't have the same political uh, background as you, even if they, they, no matter what the case, he says love them. And then he brings us into another level because he says a new command I want to give you guys. And this is specifically talking to his disciples. So it can't be encapsulated in any of the other ones. He says love one another. And I was sharing with some pastors that it, 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 it and, and sometimes I'm guilty of it too, it frustrates me when we as the church think that our church is the only church. We don't want to do anything with other congregations. We don't want to mix with other congregations. We don't want to like get together because no, it's all about our congregation. But that's not loving one another. And I'm going to ask... Uh, well, I'm not going to ask the band to come up, but I do want to spend some time in prayer because I think it's important that we understand this because here's the deal. This, this is important. If the church, the church, just Christians, just people who filled with the Spirit of God, if the church just did this, it would literally leave us no one on the planet we could hate because Everyone on the planet falls into what Jesus categorized as our neighbor or one another. And the whole social media realm would look different. And our world and our communities would look different. If not even, not even saying the politicians or all the other people, just the church that we're going to focus on just loving other people as ourselves and loving one another, other Christ followers, other churches. And maybe for some of us, instead of loving other Christ followers or other churches or people of different political persuasion or people of a different race, maybe it starts with, yeah, maybe we do have a brother or a sister or a family member or a coworker or a neighbor who we've been hating on, that we need to make things right with. So I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads and pray that, God, you would just reveal to us the people in our lives that maybe we need to step forward and show a little more love to. People that may be in our own families, people that are maybe that we work with, people that are literally maybe our neighbors that live next door or across the street from us. And maybe we need to show a little bit more love to them. We cannot control what they do, but we can allow your Holy Spirit to guide what we do. So we pray that you would just reveal that to us now. And then as we leave here, maybe give us the words to say, give us the words to text. Give us the inclination to step forward and to begin showing love to those people. And God, we pray for just all those people who, who we come into contact with who may be different from us racially or different from us culturally or different from us politically or different from us denominationally. 
And we pray that we would take to heart the message to love our brother. See, even when we disagree with their actions, to show the love of Christ. See, even when we disagree with their words or their posts or the things that they do, to show the love of Christ. That we would literally do what you did and love those people who may hate us or spitefully use us. And we know that it's going to take the power of your Holy Spirit to make that happen. And we pray that you would give us your strength. We pray that you would allow us to be guided by your Spirit. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And everyone says, Amen. Amen. Thank you.